This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Whoa, he's stuffing it in. Way up high. The two Penske drivers touch, and Joseph Newgard goes back to the front to the inside of Simon Pagano. And look at Dixon. Dixon's going to take over second now. What a swing potentially in the championship. Pagano in front has dropped a third. Dixon is now in second behind Newgard. Joseph Newgard is going to win for the fourth time in 2017. The next American superstar takes control of the championship. Sato exits turn number two. He has a two-car length advantage over Ed Carpenter. Half a lap to try to hold him off Mark. And here comes Santino Perucci. He wants that third spot from Tony Canon. He's got a lift and he's not going to get it. He's holding on for dear life now. Up a turn number four for the time final time. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. Takuma Sato beats Ed Carpenter to the checkered flag. Takuma Sato goes to victory lane. Carpenter, Canon, Perucci, Pagano, the top five. Joseph Newgarden with an erratic move to the bottom of the racetrack, but he holds on into turn number one. He went all the way down to the pit wall to prevent Pato Award from getting a run, and Mark, it worked. Joseph Newgarden rockets out of turn number two, and he's put about three or four car lengths between himself and Pato Award. And it is down to a half a second, but Joseph Newgarden, he's looking for career win number 20. Here he comes, Mark James, through turns three and four for the final time. For the final time, Joseph Newgarden comes to the start-finish line. Twin checkers out, and he wins the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Ready to race again this weekend in the NTT IndyCar Series with the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 from Worldwide Technology Raceway, formerly known as Gateway Raceway, Madison, Illinois, just outside St. Louis on the other side of the river, less than 15 minutes from downtown. We have that to discuss on the program tonight. We have more fallout from Nashville, uh, conversations on driver standards, uh, the track, the events. Uh, there's a report about one of the other oval venues, like Gateway, for next year we'll get into, and the season is down to the final three. Who's the best bet? And cross off also, if you hadn't already, another one of the rookies to be moving to a different team. That and much more to discuss on the program tonight. And Scott McLaughlin, runner-up in the most recent race, two-time winner this season. One of those still in the championship fight on the show coming up in one hour. Questions are welcome for Scott and for us. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan is along with us. Josh Mullenix in our MS Communications Studios on the Circle in downtown Indianapolis. Some highlights of previous races at St. Louis. Uh, they have been entertaining. And I think, Kurt, we should see more of the same coming up this Saturday evening. Yeah, I think so. Hey, good to be with you, by the way. It uh, feels like it's been one of the longer stretches of, of not having a race. And that's because we had five races in four weeks plus the Brickyard race uh, for NASCAR and the Xfinity race and the BC39. It seems like we were racing pretty hot and heavy in this market uh, there for about about six weeks. And having the last 11 days, well, not quite 11, maybe nine days off from events 
has felt a bit weird. Um, you know, it was kind of odd not to have a an IndyCar race last weekend, or at least an Indianapolis Motor Speedway race weekend. So, with with that said, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, a, another great weekend at at uh, Gateway. It was Gateway Motorsports Park was the official name of it for for quite a while, and it's been great to see what what the guys there, Chris Blair, John Bomarito. Um, and the gang, they've just done tremendous work and, um, it's a great place. I went back and watched last year's race today, had it running, you know, during some of the quiet parts of the race kind of was doing my work, but it was, it was fun to watch that. Uh, it was fun. You know, I knew Joseph had had a pretty dominating day. What I kind of forgot was just how good Colton Herta was till he broke yep. a half shaft. Uh, he was the one guy that I think consistently could run with Joseph. Pato Award made it interesting late, uh, but it was pretty much Joseph and and Colton Herta last year. But you know, just just good action. That's a good racetrack for IndyCar. Uh, it's kind of right sized from a crowd standpoint. Yeah, they use they don't use the uh, the grandstands on what would be the west end of the racetrack, but. Uh, it is, uh, it's such a good place and, and the, the folks there have, have done such a good job and, and, uh, I'm looking forward to this one again, and we've got a real championship battle on our hands, 12 points separate the top three, five, uh, drivers within 33 points. So, you know, that's a, what, what you would call a swing race, meaning any of those could come out of uh, the weekend with, with the race leads or the series leads. So really interesting stuff and i can't wait to get at it so first practice this is a two-day show first practice is going to be according to the schedule i have in front of me noon central time one o'clock eastern time on peacock on friday afternoon and then right after that it's straight into qualifying at 315 local 415 eastern time and then there is a practice coming up in the evening. I need to double check on these times because I don't know if the schedule I'm looking at is the updated schedule. But I think here just in the last few days, like they did at Texas, a 30-minute warm-up to the practice with nine drivers trying to rubber in a top groove is going to happen before the official all-skate final practice. Yeah, you've got that right. It starts at... Uh... And now, I, I, now I'm going to be off on my times. I've been calling it Eastern all along, but it's basically race time uh, is the time that they're going to use to uh, to practice. Six o'clock local, seven o'clock Eastern, I believe is is the time. Um, and now I'm I'm doubting myself on on the exact time because I've seen it both ways. The key, I think, that you 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 mentioned it, but maybe we need to stress it is that IndyCar f- uh, flipped the second practice with the qualifying session, the original schedules that have been on like the website at, at uh, worldwide technology raceway and at IndyCar.com over the past few months or weeks, at least have said that qualifying was at night. Uh, obviously the teams and, and the series officials decided it would be better to have a practice during the time when the race was going to be held the next night as opposed to just a qualifying session. So the qualifying session now runs midday, 4.15 Eastern. And uh, so that's important to know. And and that makes sense, too, from an entertainment standpoint, too, because let's face it, single car qualifying is not that enthralling. And there is a reason to come on Friday because there's a Silver Crown race 
which will be a night race on Friday night. So that'll come right after the IndyCar practice. So that should be a good evening. Watch the IndyCars, get after it. Uh, it's 6 to 6.30 local time, central time. So that's 7 o'clock Eastern time on, I, I'm guessing, on Peacock. I haven't seen our updated schedule, but my guess is we'll be on Peacock for that, plus the regular one-hour final practice from 6.45 until 7.45 local time. So that's 7.45 to 8.45 Eastern time. So that means the Silver Crown race is going to be pretty much fully in the dark. So it's not starting. There's no way it's starting before 8.15 or so Central time uh, on Friday night. So that'd be good. And and the nine that are going to participate that I've been told, I don't know if this is out there or not, but I have it in front of me. So I'll just mention them. Rossi, Rosenquist, Dixon, Sato, Daly, Eilat, Pagano, Harvey, and Power. Uh, it was in kind of an invite and then a first come first serve similar to Texas. I do not have any information as to whether they had to convince anyone or if it was, yeah, this helped the show at uh, Texas and nobody crashed. So it was probably a little easier to find volunteers this time around. And even with that said, there was a little bit of second groove racing last year. So it's not like it's super treacherous, especially if the track is not filled with marbles so from that standpoint, I think the thinking would be it wasn't that bad to begin with. Let's put a little more rubber on it. Uh, if it doesn't rain between then and race time, which there is a chance of rain this weekend, a slight chance, I think. But if it doesn't rain, that might improve things even more, and we might really have some two-wide racing. Yeah, last year, um, you know, it was it was good action on the outside. And at Texas, I think everyone was – well, most people were in unison that that having that extra groove was helpful, or at least part of a groove. Uh, they recorded 284 passes for position in the Texas race, so that was good. And by the way, the list uh, of drivers is on IndyCar.com. There's a story about it. Not a particularly okay. long story, but uh, the other thing you would note is that there is one per team. There is one team not participating, and that's A.J. Foyt Racing, I think everybody else is uh, is going to send somebody. It was interesting to see which driver uh, emerged from the multi-car teams. Uh, I take particular note that Will Power was the driver who will go for Team Penske, and he kind of, in my mind, I would have thought Joseph would have raised his hand and said, yeah, I, I, wanted, I want to know what's up there, but maybe he just intends to be in the bottom groove all night because he's going to be a leader, he thinks. But Power's the one that suggested it at Texas. So everyone else is saying, hey, you're the one that got us into this. You better be out there. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know that you'd really want to do this. Well, I hear you. But if you learn something from running up there, I mean, don't they always say more track time, regardless of what the conditions are, it's better? I think I want to venture up there when they get into the real practice after the guinea pigs have put some rubber in it in that first 30 minutes. Fair Fair. I, I, I could I could see how you probably wouldn't want to do it, but I think I did hear some people coming out of Texas saying, I'm glad I did it in that session, although it was probably probably more treacherous at Texas than it would be at, at uh, Gateway. Maybe not. Uh, turn two is <laughs> turn two if you get up there, it uh, can get away from you very quickly as we saw Rossi last year uh, just got a little bit too high and smacked the turn two wall. So you know there's uh, danger lies in that upper groove in turn two for sure so for asking why one team is not um 
what I believe I heard was that they were inviting nine and there are 10 teams. Is that right? No one has more than one car. Correct. So it may just went simply into uh, entry points and Foyt may not have been invited. And that's how they decide that. And I don't imagine Foyt is disappointed there with a rookie driver who has crashed in half the races this year and another driver in his second full-time season. They're probably fine with letting the other people go out there. You can argue this either way. You'd rather not do it uh, or might not be a bad idea. I think you could sell someone on that too, that the track is not going to be crowded. So you're not going to worry about getting run over if you just decide to go up there at two-thirds speed and then just get a feel of it and really start to inch in the thing and, and get a sense of what it feels like when it's going well. And also, you know, what to look for. And maybe it helps you when, no, it's not very good and I don't want to be up here. So that's what we're going to see in a, a really full day coming up on Friday. And then Saturday, do we have anything? I, I know uh, Indy Pro 2000 is also running there this weekend on Friday and Saturday. And I know the Indy Lights race is at uh, just after 4 o'clock. I think we go on Peacock at 4.05 or four, maybe it's 4.10 on Saturday afternoon Eastern time. So 3.15 green flag local time. The IndyCar race is at 5 o'clock local time. 6 o'clock Eastern time on USA Network this weekend on USA, and then about a 6.30 green flag. So command coming up at like 22, 23 after. So fairly short pre-race show. So we look forward to that uh, this weekend. And I believe IndyCar is on right after an Xfinity race. So hopefully there's a nice audience. I saw another release today that uh, USA NASCAR ratings are up again significantly over what they were on NBCSN last year. So people are starting to figure out that there's motorsports on USA, and this will be the second, I believe, IndyCar race that's on USA. So hopefully you see some some positives there. And it's the final race on USA because the final two at Portland and WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca will be on NBC in September. So we look back to last year, and you mentioned Newgarden uh, got the win and was always in contention, but took over the lead after Colton Herta broke a half shaft right before his last pit stop. But the Penske's in general were strong. Power won the pole, led for a little while, finished third. McLaughlin finished fourth in that race. And this will be something to watch. If Pagano and Newgarden together because they have made contact twice as teammates. They're not teammates anymore. What might they do if they're not trying to not hit each other? Yeah, but last year I had forgotten that their, their, their little contact in turn two. Uh, Simon was trying to get to the inside of Joseph. Wasn't quite there, but Joseph didn't leave him any room either. And uh, they made contact, and it broke Simon's uh, right front wing. And then it went flying off uh, down the backstretch. But, yeah, that was problematic. A good re recovery for Simon's group, though. Uh, he came back to finish eighth. So that was pretty pretty respectable for a track where you're going to lose a lap, you know, making a wing adjustment, uh, a wing change uh, replacement. So good good for uh, Simon on that. Uh, yeah, Team Penske, one, two, no, one, three, four, eight. So this is uh, – going to be rolling in their favor come Saturday night, you would expect. And what we don't really know is how good the Ganassis are or were. And one question I have, I don't know, 
And I'm going to guess it's not the case, but last year was what they call an impound race, I believe, that no changes were allowed to be made or very minor changes after qualifying. So you can adjust the front wing and tire pressures, but you can't change the gearing. You can't do special things for qualifying. I would assume that's that can't be the case this time because there's a full practice. So just because someone did not qualify well last year, like the Ganassis, doesn't mean that they won't come up with a qualifying setup for this year. But both Dixon and Alex Pillow were collected in the crash with Renus VK a little bit before the midpoint of the race. And Marcus Erickson had a pretty good run. I know he was running sixth or so late in the race and maybe fell off just a little bit at the end, but was still lead lap and finished in ninth. And, and he was good there a couple of years ago. So I think the Ganassi will be good. Pato Award has been really good all three years. I think he's been top three. I guess it's two years. There was a double header in 20. So he's finished, I think it's top three in all three races and qualified top five. So we think he'll be good. Uh, and as far as the other championship contender goes, who else are we looking at? We're looking at New Garden, Award, Power, Erickson. So you got, th- you got three from Ganassi, three from Penske, and then the Aero McLaren car. Yep. So th- those are all covered at this point. You know, and, and McLaughlin is, is yeah, sort of in, in there still. And then um, the last long shot, well, we're, we're probably talking – about help me i don't have my point chart in front of me who's seventh and like 60 points out so award is seventh 59 out and mclaughlin is is sixth and he's 58 point i this is really a five-man race at this point uh with uh with power and dixon and Newgarden and uh marcus and polo so it's unless mclaughlin or award win and then we're going to change that right yeah if, if they, if if they, one they win the race that wins. changes they still have to climb over a lot of drivers. I mean, you may have, you know, Will Power finish last and and uh, McLaughlin get back in the hunt, but with a win or a second, but it's still going to have to climb over a bunch of people. So it's still it's still a challenge for those two, uh, but it could happen. You know, here's how I'm going to look at this. I'm still going to say the more I think about this, the more it is somewhat open to those seven because of what this race is. If there were three road course races remaining. I would say that and the chances are still steep when you're 58 and 59 back, but this is the race where you can make up ground. This is the one where somebody can crash. Somebody can lose an engine. You know, as we talked about, you're scoring five points. If you finish 25th or 26th, you could gain or lose 49 points on someone and i know that they have five or six to to pass but just re-watching last year's race today how many of the championship contenders last year had bad days about three of them two of them crashed in the same corner early in the race so it, it is very possible that three of those top seven have bad days and all of a sudden you've got almost straight up in those final two races, Portland is an, I, you know, as much as I said, Portland is the one because no one can ever get through turn one. So that's just a random race. Laguna Seca is the one you want to make your ground before you get to Laguna Seca, Laguna Seca. It's much less likely that something really odd happens. 
Fair enough. Absolutely is all on all that. The only thing I would say is that the top three, Power, Dixon, and Marcus Erickson, are essentially a full race. In fact, a full race ahead of McLaughlin and, and Award. They are. So, so if you're going to – I mean, it, it seems like a lot to ask that all three of those are going to have crash damage at, at uh, Gateway. It could happen, certainly. Uh, but, you know, one of those is still going to probably come away – with at least a 30 to 35 point lead, even if the other two were last in the race. I'm not discounting it. I just, I think it's effectively a five man race, barring some real uh, challenges and for those top guys. And it could happen. You're right. These are two races, a, a road course that has a tricky turn one and an oval that always invites trouble. Either one of those could cause problems. And you're absolutely right. You got to make your ground. Uh, early in the season, so to speak, because uh, you know, you know, it's it's not going to happen for you probably at uh, at Laguna Seca. So we'll start our visit with Scott McLaughlin. Kurt believes you have no chance at the championship, so good <laughs> luck enjoying the final three races. No, good you luck know, enjoying the conversation. It, yeah, with Portland as well. Portland is as random as it gets, and yeah. I don't know how I'd approach that first corner. I think I might just start from pit lane. And just say, I'd like to get through that because eight of them are going to crash. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be 15th or 17th or something like that and have my front wing. And my cool suit will still work if it's really hot because they don't work after you have to change front wings. I learned that last weekend and was when I was chatting with Rossi about, you know, him not using it because it's broken the last couple of times. And I said, you know, Renus VK told me that he when he lost a wing in practice, it didn't work anymore. And he said, ooh, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. That's one more reason I'm never wearing it again. Uh, so, yeah, that's the most random race, probably more than like a Talladega in some ways from from that race. Uh, so that's a, that's something we'll deal with in a couple of weeks. It was so random at Portland last year that the front two guys crashed in turn one and came back to finish first and second. Wasn't that the race Dixon and Polo? I, I think you're right. Yeah, they had to go all the way to the back. Uh, Polo won the race from pole, and did Dixon finish second? I think he might have. I think he did, yeah. <laughs> and at one point, though, we thought, you know, their day is done. They're way back in the back, but it turns out the, you know, the off strategy turned out to work. So it is a, an entirely random race that involves, one, you got to be really thinking, but also you got to get a break to fall your way as well so this weekend is there anybody else we haven't talked about other than the championship contenders that that we think is going to be really strong you know looking at last year sebastian bourdais was pretty good so maybe this is a weekend for kyle kirkwood they tested there recently uh i believe they were there and did the rookie test i was glad to see that because i saw or i heard i didn't see him but i heard kyle had a brace on his wrist after the crash in nashville and that worried me a little bit, but the fact that he was in the car just a few days later tells us that he's okay for this particular one. I know there were times out there somewhere, I've forgotten what they were uh, for for the IndyCar test, but I think it was mostly rookies. And maybe Dalton that was able to use a test day for that. So there are a few that have some track time this year, but I don't think most have tested there. So didn't Malukas win both Indy Lights races last year, finishing ahead of Kirkwood in, he did. in both? 
So Malukas would be interesting to watch as well, especially when Sato ran pretty well uh, last year. In fact, he's he's run pretty well there a couple times, and as a teammate, you know. You and Grosjean was good there last year in that in that car. And uh, Grosjean uh, had a penalty. I don't know that that penalty was too uh, cumbersome, but he had a penalty for a pit road incident and then came back to finish. I don't know that his finishing position was that high, but he was racy. Really, that was the place last year where I thought Grosjean uh, really made a breakthrough uh, because Mm -hmm. he had kind of figured it out. And uh, that was, if you remember a lot of the, good racing that I saw today on on the replay just Grosjean coming up through the field and that was unique for him because he had not been on the oval before yeah it was his first oval and he was racy he was passing people low and high and what ultimately happened to him is he did his last pit stop right before a caution came out so he fell off the lead lap but he was legitimately going to finish somewhere eighth ninth tenth in that range and finished a lap down in 14th but he was racy he was good Connor Daly has always been good here I I know he's looking forward to this one but this will be the first time in the Ed Carpenter car and the Ed Carpenter cars weren't great last year Ed I think yeah Ed started in the back and crashed Renus started in the back and they started 22nd and 23rd and Renus had moved forward a little bit, was doing well, was up to mid-pack when he got into the back of Dixon a little bit, and then that collected uh, Pelot, and all three of them were out. Uh, two years ago, Renus was pretty good. I think he went from like 14th to 6th and maybe finished 4th. But last year, the Carpenter cars weren't very good. They weren't particularly strong at Iowa, I don't think either. So we'll see what they have. But I know Connor is always solid you mentioned Sato is one and has finished second he's had a pole there um, different team this time but that team has been good there what will Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan have they've been really struggling on the ovals got better uh, in the race as I recall at Iowa and they weren't too bad last year Sato was in their car Jack Harvey uh, with Meyer Shank last year had a, had a decent run he's been decent at this place before so what will they have graham was doing okay but he was well, he was out on what like lap three he crashed with ed jones on the third lap so we don't know what they really have at this point either uh and the andretti cars you know we talked about colton being really good and rossi was running top five until he crashed i've heard alex mention a few times this year i think he told me this a couple of weeks ago and then i heard him saying again on on the hinch and rossi podcast that yeah, we can be good in the final two races, but Gateway's going to be awful. So he has zero confidence coming into this. I'm not sure why. Uh, well, because I think they haven't been good on the other short ovals. And he wasn't particularly good there last year, but Hunter Ray was okay. And Colton was. Colton was really good, but obviously Rossi was not and comes in with low expectations. So we shall see what he has. Yeah, that's interesting that he said that, given how how racy Herta was last year, and Rossi was was ran pretty well as well. It's hard, it's it's difficult to believe that that teams can go from from being really strong one year at a particular track, and then just you know on the short oval just not be anywhere the next next year. So, yeah, I just picked Colton Herta to win the race. So uh, on IndyCar.com, so I'm sure that'll that'll look good. 
Okay. All right, we'll get into more of that. Your questions are welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Scott McLaughlin coming up in about 30 minutes and plenty more on the way. Trackside 935 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. At Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Three to go in the IndyCar Championship. The last oval is coming up this weekend. Scott McLaughlin, who has been really, really good on ovals. So I looked this up. He's done eight ovals so far. He's finished in the top four, four times, including second two times for a guy that had never done an oval race before. So he is immediately an oval meister. And it goes back to... You know, what I've always been told, and I've said because smarter people have told me this, it is much easier for a road racer to figure out ovals than it is the other way around. Good race car drivers figure out how to drive on ovals, especially if they are in good cars. And Scott McLaughlin covers both of those bases. He's a good race car driver, if not a great race car driver, and he's on a good, if not a great race car every time he's in it. Still difficult to believe that you could come in and have that kind of success against the uh, the guys who have so much experience on ovals. Uh, that's a remarkable stat. I just wrote it down, and you'll see it probably on IndyCar.com later in the week because that's a good one. Uh, I would not have thought he was that good, um, but you're no, right. That's He's exclusive got a good car. to the NBC broadcast. That's embargoed until 9 p.m. on Saturday, <laughs> please, if you will. Thank you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Thank you. Fair enough. Uh, we, uh, it's amazing the amount of uh, prep work we do for our day jobs on this show. Uh, we have, we have uh, it's our, our little secret. So I finally found it. I, I knew I had seen somewhere uh, what the test times were, and you just texted me a screenshot, but you weren't sure if that was complete on the day. So hopefully this matches up. Malukas led the uh, rookie test last week, 179.326 miles per hour. Then it was Eilat, Kirkwood, Lungard, DeFrancesco, and Kellett. And I do not see times for all of the rest of those. So those are the ones that have been on this track here very recently all right i'm going to shift gears a little bit um starting to wonder when the schedule will come out people always do i don't expect it now but boy we are getting close it could come as early as the end of august my guess is the earliest we see it if everything gets buttoned up maybe they would like to do that in a perfect scenario the next to the last race so labor day weekend at portland um, but sometimes it's just when it gets done, when all the contracts get done. So Crash Gladys tweeted, Crash does a nationally syndicated radio show, big motorsports person. I believe she's from Indianapolis. I know she used to live here. Yeah, so uh, Crash, Crash is a friend, and her, her husband and her radio partner, Kenny Sargent, said on their radio show last weekend and crash tweeted it well that was a bit of a bomb drop kenny Sargent laying it out there that next year texas motor speedway is set to blow up reconfigure to help make the product better then he added that indycar may or may not be part of the picture moving forward too i will chuckle so that's not exactly a bombshell when you say may or may not well i guess it could be if you're if you're saying that's undetermined 
uh, because I think we on the IndyCar side have all been saying expect it to return, expect the schedule to be the same. So I know Crash and Kenny have connections at Texas Motor Speedway. They've always done, and, and I'm always doing my own thing, so I don't get to spend a lot of time with her and ask her how it works, but I see them doing unique shows at specific tracks. Texas is often one of those. I would always see them at Phoenix, at Vegas, uh, the Southwest area tracks and some different things. And they have deep connections. And so maybe this is just kind of a leak out there from, hey, don't just assume because you say you're coming back, you're coming back. It's not going to be fully on your terms, IndyCar. We're going to get either the amount of money that we want to rent the track or a reduction in sanctioning fee or whatever, because as much as IndyCar doesn't like the fact that this race runs in front of empty grandstands, I can't imagine Texas Motor Speedway is super fond of it either, especially if they're paying a dollar. They're paying anything. So it still goes back to the only assumption I've ever been able to make how that made sense for Texas Motor Speedway is it's a part of their year-long sponsorship packages for signage on the walls and for season tickets and for suite holders that we're going to have X number of major events. And it helps their bottom line to have another major event there, and they're able to take a loss simply from what they're paying in the sanctioning fee compared to ticket sales, hot dogs, and direct income coming in that weekend. But maybe that's a note of just it's not a foregone conclusion that that's going to be back. I suspect Roger Penske and Penske Entertainment will be able to figure out a way to make it happen, but it's not the first time that uh, a hard bargain has been tossed around when it comes to Texas Motor Speedway. I also see they're going to have their third track president or GM in three years. They named another uh, person uh, just uh, recently. Somewhere I've got that name. Mark Faber was the SVP Global Partnerships at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. He's named the GM at Texas after, and I never got his pronunciation, whether, whether it was Ramage or Ramage. Rob Ramage moves over to a different role with Speedway Motorsports, SVP of Government Relations, which is apparently somewhat in the neighborhood of what he had done for the company previously. Does this impact... The IndyCar negotiations, maybe, maybe not. This may, you know, go above and go to SMI corporate, but certainly the track GM is going to be involved in that. And then I see, I think they have a press conference for tomorrow. Now, who knows? That could just be announcing a, a title partner. And there was another nugget that mentioned, I think David Land found this on Twitter, that they've seen somewhere on the Texas Motor Speedway website that they're announcing their cup race is going to be in the spring next year. Not a date yet, and NASCAR has not announced the schedule, so that would be different than what it has been. They've had the All-Star race, which was, wasn't that in early June? Wasn't it after the Indy 500? Yeah, I think so. I've lost track of that. I, yeah, I think that's probably the date on a spring race probably makes sense for what they would be announcing uh, tomorrow, they want to get you know if they're going to sell tickets for a spring race, uh, they need to to probably get on that. Uh, the other thing is just the re you know the blowing up and redoing of the track as as Kenny Sargent sort of described it, you know just what that looks like, how much 
how much is uh, really making it different? What does that look like? You know, that's Put interesting it back to, to me. back the way it was? Or <laughs> I would like that to be the case. Yeah, that, yeah. that would be good. Uh, so anything that kind of looks like what it used to be would be fine with me. And in my mind, you know, I, I know that the theory out there has been, well, we don't know what IndyCar's future is. In my mind, this increases the chances of IndyCar having a long-term home because until they repaved, the surface apparently had been ruined forever. Now, you can make it better. You can do some things to help it by rubbering in the track, and it, it gets a little bit better. But the PJ1 wasn't coming off. <laughs> I don't know why or how. But it was going to take a full repaving. And the new layout had not been fantastic for IndyCar even before the PJ1. So in my mind, this is good that they're going to try something different. And the reason why they're not redoing this because of IndyCar. They're redoing it because the cup race has been bad. So they need to figure out something. Or remember, SMI is not owned by NASCAR. There's no guarantee that they keep races. So if they want to keep their cup race and the 10 to $20 million they collect per race for television revenue, they better make this race entertaining for a television audience and for NASCAR fans and spend what needs to be spent. So yeah, that's one um, we'll keep an eye on. We'll see what tomorrow's announcement is. Maybe it is. A, and then with the date, if they run a spring race – uh, when would the IndyCar race was in March this year? March 20th. It's not going to be March 20th if they're running in April, right? Right, they, right, yeah. They're going to want at least four weeks, if not more, especially if in, they're going to want the cup race to be first, I think, unless they can get six weeks of separation. And I don't know that you can run – you know, maybe a spring race is considered early May, late April. Then maybe you still can run in March, but you can't run a whole lot earlier because you run the risk of the weather not being good. So are then you're looking at going back to the June date like you've had before. Uh, maybe you can run it at night then. But as we've said before, it's tough to run a night race in June in the central time zone. It's really just a twilight race, and it's going to be surface of the sun hot. I felt like that was kind of a selling factor, that it was enjoyable all weekend there this year at that time. And since the race was pretty decent, you might be able to get people to come. But uh, just keep an eye on what's going on at Texas Motor Speedway. I'll put that in the I don't know where that race is going to be at this point, and we might learn more if they do announce a date for the cup race coming up tomorrow. All right, we've got news of the day a little later on. Scott McLaughlin coming up and plenty more, including your tweets, too, on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We've got IndyCar racing to talk about this weekend coming up at Worldwide Technology Raceway just outside St. Louis. Saturday evening here on the radio... Uh, I don't know when the Colts play this weekend, so I can't tell you where the game will air. So check your local listings. But obviously, once you get into Colts schedule and preseason games, they could run pretty much any day of the week. So it's either going to be here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan, or on 93.1, or somewhere else. When do the Colts play? They play at 1 o'clock on Saturday. 
So they'll still be doing a post-game show on Saturday. So Until until 3 in the morning. Yeah. Until 3 in the morning. Greg Reichstra will be taking your calls after the game, after this preseason game. There are a lot of things I miss uh, about not being involved with the Colts in the NFL. Post-game preseason call-in shows are not one of them. I was asked a few years ago to fill in on one of those, and I said, you do not have enough money for me to take calls for a preseason game. So I will not be involved with that. So you'll be somewhere. USA and Peacock is where you can see the television broadcast. And IndyCar.com is where you can find the NTT IndyCar app. Also, we'll have the audio with Mark Janes and the guys uh, this weekend starting at 6 o'clock Eastern time at about 6.30 is the green flag. And there's a lot of other racing going on this weekend. There's a nice road. Well, it's a road course race, but there's a, a certainly a big international flair we're used to seeing this in imsa and indycar but at watkins Glen this weekend you're always going to have some road course drivers but it ratches it moves up a notch or two kimmy raikkonen making his cup debut coming up and bob pockris retweeted this somebody sent him the list seven countries represented in sunday's cup race at the Glen. you've got daniel suarez from Mexico. I don't even know what this flag is for Hesemans, and I've even forgotten what his first name is, but that's the the guy that, that Jacques Villeneuve has driven with sometime in, I think, maybe like the 27 car. Uh, is Danny Kvyat in this race again as well? I think he is. Yeah. You've got Kimi Raikkonen. You've got uh, Mike Rockefeller. You've got Kyle Tilley who's running in the cup race, who is British. Uh, Joey Hand is running in the cup race as well. He's in the 15 car. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger is going to be in this race. He is in a lot of the road course races uh, too. So this will be good. Hesemans, is he in the 20? Lewis. Loris is his name for Team Hesseberg, and he is in the 27 car. So cup racing and Xfinity racing, and I think even ARCA, is at the Glen this weekend with the ARCA race on Friday. The Xfinity race is on USA right before the IndyCar race, starting at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So we'll hope for not multiple, multiple overtimes for that one. But there is a 30-minute buffer with pre-race show, so that helps out things. And then the cup race green flags at 3 after the pre-race coming up at 2 on Sunday afternoon. Um, Here's another nugget that is off the beaten path as we, if you're a sports fan, you're you're kind of following the, the streaming world these days. And we'll all watch in the business industry how Thursday Night Football does on Amazon this year. Now, one thing they've done that's going to help their cause, I wondered how bars would be able to do the streaming with multiple TVs. And they the NFL realized that was going to be an issue as well because they might be able to stream one, but it's kind of a different hookup potentially for all of them. So they've done a deal with DirecTV to use the same system they always have for Sunday Ticket to be on multiple TVs. So that's an advantage that they have over any other streaming broadcast. And you wondered what are the numbers going to be? Some They have exact numbers, the people running these, but they don't always release them, and they're not apples to apples. You know, it's not quite the same way as Nielsen does it. Well, Nielsen is actually going to rate these broadcasts 
with uh, the same type of measurements they do with a certain number of households, not an actual number, which I would presume they could do, but this is still going to be an estimate from what I read today on Sports Business Journal. So that'll give us a sense. They averaged like 16 million people a game last year on Fox. What's it going to be on Amazon? This will kind of give us a real world idea of, of what the numbers are looking like at this point. So uh, and that will impact every sport. All right, Scott McLaughlin is set to join us in just a moment. Stay with us. Hour two of Trackside coming up. Scott McLaughlin comes off the final turn for the final time. Quinn Checkers in the air, and we have a first-time winner in the NTT IndyCar Series on the streets of St. Petersburg. Scott McLaughlin wins the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, leading 49 laps in the process. He started on pole. He leads the most laps, and he goes to victory lane in race number one. Again, it was a feeling-out process for Scott McLaughlin one year ago when he landed at Penske Racing, and this year he has settled in quite nicely. He comes off the carousel for the final time, and when he does, you'll see the twin checkers. Career win number two in the NTT IndyCar Series. As Scott McLaughlin wins the Honda Indy 200 in Mid-Ohio. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hour number two of the show. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Molinix is in our studio, and the driver, now two-time winner in the NTT IndyCar Series of this weekend, the number three Odyssey battery Chevrolet for Team Penske is Scott McLaughlin. How are you, Scott? Good, Kevin. How are you guys? Good to see you, Kurt. Good. Thank you for uh, listening to the word from our commercial providers before you could join us. Uh, I've learned that from the bus bros. That's a a phrase I hadn't used before, but I I quite like that. And I saw you tweet today uh, about how your day started. Nothing worse than stepping in poop to start your day. So hopefully that remains the worst part of your day after your visit with us. Has it gone okay after that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I've been a little bit better. I played a little bit of golf. You know, things have got a little bit better. So, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a bad start, but, um, you know, it's, it's picked up since then. <laughs> we're finishing strong. How'd you golf? Uh, not bad yet. That, that, we, we're probably going to have to finish this interview very quickly in terms of, like, very good because I, I played like crap today, so I need to be a little bit better. <laughs> we'll finish strong. All right, let's go back to Nashville from a week and a half ago. You start first, you finish second, so that would seem like a fairly straightforward race that almost went perfectly, but it was massively impressive how you got to second because you basically had to come from the back. Yeah, we were we were really fast, Kevin. Like it's um, our car felt so good. Um, you know, credit to Ben and the guys in Car Three. Um, we we worked really hard on that in the simulator to get that right. And, um, felt like our street course package has been really strong this year. Um, all, all all street tracks, obviously, with St. Pete winning and Long Beach and whatnot. But um, yeah, just the yellows didn't fall our way. Unfortunately, we, we just lost track position, and when we were get, gaining track position there again, we'd lose track track position again, and then unfortunately we had a bad pit stop and. You know, all year, you know, our team has been really good in the pit stop, um, you know, in pit lane. And and uh, unfortunately, we just had one sort of misdemeanor there and, and uh, it put me back to 16th. But the car was fast enough to be able to force our way through and, and I had to be aggressive. But it was one of those ones where, you know, I got 16th and I was like, well, I've, I've really got to make some moves here if I want to keep myself in championship contention at least. So... Um, we, worked, we I, I took a few more risks than I probably should have, but, you know, it worked out in the end. 
I think about listening to those uh, those highlights and then listening to you talk about a second-place finish as if it's disappointing. I mean, you've come a long way in just a year's time where second doesn't feel like, you know, what what you'd think it would feel like. You you must, you know, it's it's a world of difference over the last year, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I remember when, you know, I finished second at Texas last year, and then when I finished second at Texas this year behind Joseph, I was really, I was bitterly disappointed where last year it was like a win. Um, but, you know, that's progress, and, and that's something that, you know, I, I've, you know, for me, I've worked very hard on to you know, myself to be, be good and be better, and, and I ask a lot of myself. Um, so, you know, anything other than a win right now for me, you know, championship-wise is, you know, is not a good thing. We, we need to continue to be, like, top three, um, you know, getting points. And if people in the championship hunt that are, like, you know, around our positions are finishing in front of us, like Dixon on the weekend, it's, it's semi-disappointing. <laughs> but I know... Um, how much we've you know moved forward and how much you know I'm I'm feeling more comfortable with the car that we can have a really uh, really strong tilt come 2023 but you know 2022 now and and I think we've got a really good shot yet but I know I can't really afford any any um, problems from here on in. With what you did in supercars, and there were enough people that we trusted that told us Scott is going to figure this out and he's going to be a race winner and a championship contender. So we knew it was coming. We just didn't know when. So I'll ask you this. How close are you to maximizing your potential in an Indy car? Have you still only scratched the surface or are you pretty close to where you need to be to be a, a, a race contender every weekend and a championship contender from here on out? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm feeling really strong in the car, but every race we go into, everyone else gets stronger as well. So I need to ask a lot more out of myself. I think from a comfort perspective and where I'm sitting right now in the race car, like I, I, I'm, you know, every first lap that I go out for, you know, at a, at a racetrack this year, I felt really comfortable, felt really at home. Um that's only going to get better and better as I come back to these tracks more and more over the next few years. But, you know, I think we're in a, a spot right now where I think I'm in that top bracket. Now it's about finding the extra little percent to, you know, break myself past that bracket and, and be, you know, a contender week in, week out, which is very hard to do in IndyCar, as we all know. But, you know, I, I feel strong. I feel, you know, I feel like I'm I'm right where we need to be in terms of, you know, the trajectory and, and where we're at and, um, you know, where, where I'm at in terms of my, my learning and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where we go uh, in the next few races. Can you put into words what it is beyond just comfort level that you have from year one to year two? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I work with amazing people, which has really helped that. I mean, my first engineer, Jonathan Duguid, you know, planted the seeds for me. And then now Benny's, Benny Bretzman's really just, you know, you know, polished me off in some ways. I think it's just been, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like it's just, you know, dotting the I's, crossing T's, you know, being you know, a bit more diligent with what I'm working with, understanding what I want from the car. Um, there's been many, many different things that I've worked on um, behind the scenes to make myself better and, and ready for the series. But at the same time, I've also probably relaxed a little bit more. I'm probably less, mm on tender hooks than I used to be. Um, just knowing that it, really anything can happen in IndyCar. It's like, you know, you just can't, you can't plan for anything in this place, in this, in this, in this sport. As much as, you know, I got pole on the weekend, felt like we had the strongest car, you know, in Australia, you know, 
that would be not an easy win, but it's almost, you know, 98% sure you're going to win that race. Where over here, it's just, you know, things have got to fall your way. And unfortunately, they did it on the weekend, and that's just IndyCar racing. So Scott McLaughlin joins us. Kevin's got a stat that he's going to save for his NBC broadcast, so I can't I can't reveal it again. But We, we can uh, share it with Scott. Okay. Just like, oh, IndyCar.com is not allowed to use it yet. But yes. anyway, it's your success on ovals in a really short period of time here. Uh, I, I'm trying to think what it, what you might say that was in your background that would lead lead you to think you were going to be this strong this quickly on ovals. I guess so. That's the question, and and does it surprise you? Uh, look, I, I'm not going to like Kurt. Like I feel like this. The car that I've had has been fantastic. I'm very lucky. I've I've been a rookie stepping into probably, you know, a top three chassis in the series in terms of you know how I, an oval car wants to feel, how the feedback I get from the race car, and all that sort of stuff, which has helped me develop quicker. I've had great teammates as well, but I think it's, I, I guess I've learned. I've had no bad habits. Like I've said it before, I've come in and it's just a clean sheet of paper and it's like I literally look at the data and I go, okay, this is what I need to do. This is how much steering angle I've got to got to put in. This is you know, how much throttle I need to put in. This is how I need to do it. And, you know, that's how wheels getting poles at Iowa. Okay, well, I need to do it that way. You know, and, and learning off people like him has definitely accelerated the processes. But um, I don't know. I, I, I honestly put a lot down to iRacing and, and um, running ovals on the simulator uh, for understanding, you know, aero wash and, and the way tyres degrade and whatever. Yeah, it might not be exactly the same, but it, it gave me an idea into how to race ovals. I did a hell of a lot of it before I came over, especially in the COVID period. And it really sort of, you know, got my head in the game in terms of, you know, looking after tyres, you know, working with the, the anti-roll bars, weight jackets, understanding all that before I, you know, got a full introduction into real-life racing. That's interesting. Scott McLaughlin is joining us. And I think what makes a lot of sense is the no bad habits, that you're just starting clean. You know you've got a good car, and you get out there and you get it done. I want to go back to Nashville a little bit. A lot of conversation among media types and fans, and I'm sure drivers as well. I think your little messaging system was was pretty busy on Monday afterwards. So what's the general consensus? Is it the drivers need to behave better or – does some adjustment need to be made to the track, or is there a little bit of combination of everything? I think it's a, to be honest, I think it's a combination of everything. Unfortunately, we've got a track that probably does, you know, create a concertina in some ways. And unfortunately, when things slow up, it's hard to stop a car from sort of 100 mile an hour to, you know, 40 in a, in a quicker period of time without locking brakes and hitting people. But I think there's also, you know, some of the driving standards like we've seen over the last six months, eight months, probably a year, you know, people are getting away with a lot more. Um, you know, I, you know, I look back at examples of, you know, Grosjean on Jimmy Johnson, basically dooring him at the, at the corkscrew, like things like that, that, you know, it's, it's lend it's, you know, for us, it's, it's set a standard in some ways. And I think some people you know, are taking that on board, um, and just going, well, if I've got the inside and we make contact, well, it is what it is. Um, we, I don't think we need to be promoting that, but I think it's great that the cars can withstand it. But that's another thing. The cars are so strong that they can cop a hit here or there and people can keep going. I mean, you know, Ericsson won the race last year, six feet in the year. So it's like, it's, <laughs> it's crazy really. But, um, you know, I think... It's a 50-50. It's something that needs to be probably spoken about. I think we need to be a little bit more stricter and with 
you know, racing room and how we were passing and, and whatnot. Um, but I think you can still have some, you know, really close battles as mu- as close as we've ever seen. But I think people just need to be a bit more lenient when when they get to the apex and how they drive people off the corner. Does any change in stewarding and how things are officiated now need to wait until next year? Because if you've been the victim before, you're going to want to say, hey, they did it to me and didn't get a penalty. I'm going to drive this aggressive the rest of the way. If you start penalizing now, is it too late to change midstream? Does this need to be an off-season discussion? Yeah, I think there needs to be some sort of consistency um, throughout the whole year. I mean, if we start one way, we can't end another way. But, you know, that's another thing. Like, you just... You, this is the problem, though. You get yourself into a hole where, you know, you have certain, you know, certain things get away with. You know, unfortunately, like, you know, you can get away with a, a pass like what happened at Laguna Seca at the corkscrew because there's a little bit of runoff on the exit. And mm-hmm. you know, we, I feel like a lot of the incidents have been judged on the outcomes. Um, and both drivers were able to drive away from that incident where, you know, uh, you know, for, for many of the incidents at, at, at Nashville, you know, you've got a concrete wall there. If that's a road course, you get away with that. People go off the grass and, and everyone's like, oh, that's really good racing. That's fantastic. You know, it's awesome. But, you know, we can't judge incidents on off outcomes. We can't steward them like that. I think there needs to be a consistent basis. And I think if you changed it right now, I think that would be a little much if you changed it from this point on um, onwards. But certainly that's something that, you know, we have a driver's discussion towards the end of the end of the year. Um, I'm sure that's going to be brought up. I mean, there's been various emails going around as well. I think, you know, there's, there's definitely going to be a discussion about certain things, but it's whether or not IndyCar takes it on board and, and whether they want to, because I think the product right now is great. I think we've got some great racing and great entertainment, but at the same time, we need to be um, not not creating a, any animosity or anything that, you know, can potentially harm drivers and, and, and harm anyone else on the racetrack. Well, it's good for popcorn sales because people are enjoying their popcorn when watching this. Uh, so that's good. Hey, Scott McLaughlin joins us. We were talking earlier in the show about this uh, 30-minute session of of putting rubber on the racetrack at, at uh, St. Louis and how whether a driver wanted to be in that session or didn't want to be in the session, power is the one from your team going to be involved in that in that practice session uh he's the one that kind of started this at texas or suggested it maybe that's why he got the gig did you want to participate or or was it better just to lay back and wait for the full practice that starts 30 minutes later uh look i always like getting in the car regardless so <laughs> i mean i'd love to partake in it um but you know at the same time we just you know, were controlling engine mileage and whatnot but it'd be interesting what, what you know what comes out of this because I think you know Gateway tends to regardless get into a bit of a one lane groove the way that the tires you know degrade and stuff um, the tire almost turns into a little bit of a dust and 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 it gets more marbly than most places um, kind of like a high high speed sort of road course corner on the outside there so it'd be interesting how much running yeah we can rubber up the outside lane I think it'd be great for the early early part of the racing on on Saturday night, but whether or not that will still continue to be, you know, strong, um, you know, come, come, you know, middle of the race when there's been a lot of green flag laps. So yeah, it'd be interesting how it works, but it's something that, you know, anytime I can get in the race car, do rip laps, I'm keen, but you know, like you, like you said, Will's been the, he's been the instigator in a lot of all this and he's, he's uh, definitely got the, at the forefront with it. So we'll go, let him go out and just tune it up for us. That's for sure. 
So the oval stat that Kurt mentioned, which I'm guessing you're aware of, in your eight ovals, you have finished in the top four in half of those, second a couple of times. One of those top fours was last way last year at Gateway. How does that compare to the other ovals as far as the challenge, the commitment that it takes, and everything else? No, I like I love Gateway because I think and the short ovals especially because it's it, you really got to drive the car. Not saying that we don't drive the car at Indy or Texas or anything like that, but there's a you know there's definitely you know how how you know delicate you are with the brake pedal and how when you get on the throttle here, when you get on the throttle there, how much throttle you use, um, the way you enter the corner. Like, there's a lot of driver inputs that affect your race. Your, your lap time, your overall lap time there. So I really enjoy Gateway. I think it's um, it's just two sort of high-speed road course corners, you know, on one track, which is great and fun. And, and um, you know, hopefully we have a great race this weekend because I enjoy the, you know, the, the evening races. I wish we had more of them. Um, it's, you know, it's great for my family to watch back home and, and um, you yeah. know, exciting for everyone else. Will there be a new Bus Bros after this weekend? I watched the most recent one today, so I'm all caught up now. Yeah. Yeah, I've only just recovered from that. But I think... Uh, <laughs> oh, that's we, right. We, yeah, this uh, was the... <laughs> yeah, that, that was a that was very touch and, touch and go there, um, especially when it was coming out. But it was certainly a... Uh, you know, the, the Bus Bros will be... The Bus Bros will be, um, you know, definitely coming out here this weekend. Um, we've actually got a new commercial provider that we're very excited to introduce uh, for that for that race. So that's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. I thought the highlight of the highlight of your season was eating the cheese during the commercial during the uh, Peacock show when you yeah. didn't know it was going to be as spicy as it was. That was good. Too stuff. much spicy stuff. Yeah, that that looked like a nice piece of cheddar cheese, and and that thing nearly blew my head off just before I needed to get back in the car. So wasn't too too thrilled about that. So the old spicy cheese has been banned off the bus from now on. So that's All right. Thing. We're going to ask Brian Simpson not only to continue to produce high-quality internet television, but he's going to have to have better quality control over what you're sampling during the program. Yes? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, he, yeah. um, well, I knew it was going to be hot, but I didn't think it was going to be that hot. That uh, yeah, the, the spicy <laughs> chicken was yeah, completely blew my head off. It was unbelievable. Well, we're enjoying it. You guys are a good sport, and I know the fans like it as well. Thanks for spending a few minutes yeah. with us, and we'll, we'll see you in St. Louis in a couple of days. Nice, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Scott McLaughlin, the Odyssey Battery Chevrolet. Good omen there. That's the uh, livery he had when he won at Mid-Ohio earlier this summer. The number three car for Team Penske, kind enough to join us. We've got a lot more to get into. Stay with us. Trackside, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. It's time for the Speedrome Circle City Raceway news of the day. Dirt racing is back at Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds this Sunday as the Jonathan Birds 410 Sprint Cars return to do battle in the dirt on the quarter-mile bull ring. Plus, Indiana Race Saver winged 305s, Hornets, and Micros all racing at Indy's Dirt Track. Circle City Raceway is family-friendly, racing action with free parking and outrageous fun. Adult tickets are only $10. Kids 8 and under are free. For more information, check out CircleCityRaceway.com. Kurt, what is our news of the day? Well, it's not exactly the continuation of the season of silliness, but we have another driver confirmed for 2023. We kind of had a confirmation last fall that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan uh, was going to have Christian Lungard in a car for more than just his rookie season. But these things take the twists and turns of 
a good road course. And, you know, Christian has done his job. You know, five of the last six races, particularly in the second half of the season, five of the last six races, he's finished in the top 11. He's uh, second at the Indy GP just a couple weeks ago. He was eighth at Nashville, but really was better than that. Uh, He's qualified well. He's raced well. He's beating his teammates. So they called this a restructuring of his contract, multi-year, which probably means they have an option down the road. But uh, to restructure the contract probably means he's getting paid a little bit more and maybe uh, getting some new guarantees. We've already seen that Shield Cleansers, uh, which has sponsored his car most of the season, really likes him. They're going to pay for him to his birthday trip, his 21st birthday trip to Las Vegas after the season. Uh, there's just been so much good momentum. I don't know if I just said it, but it, uh, he has finished. I mean, standing-wise, he's ahead of both teammates, both veteran teammates in uh, Graham Rahal and Jack Harvey. So he's just had a tremendous season. So good on him. We didn't think he was going to be part of the silliness that this season has been for planning for the future, but he's going to be back in the number 30 car at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, and I'm happy for him, and I'm sure you are too. He's done a really nice job. And that's our news of the day. Saturday night at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech. They've got something for everyone this Saturday night. It's the Shelbyville Auto Parts Street Stocks running the Kenny's 100 Presented by Mastet and Kane Warehousing and Services, plus a full night of racing on the historic Fifth Mile Oval. The Indianapolis Speedrome, family-friendly racing action, free parking, and outrageous fun. Adult tickets $10, kids 8 and under free. More info at speedrome.com. So his situation sounds a little bit like Callum Eilat's, I suspect. Um, And there wasn't, as you said, a lot made of his pending free agency. We didn't talk about him being available, even though uh, I wondered, is it an option? Could it be bought out? Uh, but I just didn't see Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan being very interested in a buyout because I believe they feel like they found their young guy. They've got Graham Ray Hall as the anchor to the program, but as Graham has said, I've done a lot more years. I've got a lot more years behind me than ahead of me. So we want a young driver, and certainly Jack is somewhere in the middle of that, in the middle of his career but they weren't going to let Christian Lungard get away. So maybe it wasn't a team option for this year. Maybe it was a mutual option, but it might've only been for one more year. So the reason I mentioned Callum Eilat, I believe there was an option there too, but I think in the announcement for that, Brad Hollinger said, this is not exercising the option. This is a new contract. So it sounds like whatever option there was out there, we've just both mutually agreed. Let's get rid of that. Let's give you a better deal. And I'm sure we add some years to it. And as you said, maybe it's an option moving forward, or maybe it's just locked up. It's a a bit of a driver's market now uh, to some extent, but you'd be taking a chance. You know, any driver that potentially could be free might think, oh, the number 10 could be available. I might want to get myself there, but the number 10 might not be available for a a couple of reasons. So I'm in a pretty good situation. They're the ones that gave me this chance. I'm better off staying where I'm at. And that applies to both Eilat and Lungard and potentially Malukas. I'm not sure that Malukas had any wiggle room on that. I think it would probably take a buyout for him to become available. I think he's going to stay where he's at next year. But at this point, never say never in the silliest of silly seasons. So 
are we going to get into anything new on the 10 car or well or because i don't see it yet other than if we did we discuss all the felix rosenquist drama of last week i mean it's it's still so i think we're good there i just trying to think what might have been new on that front you know it's more just thinking about what might happen and maybe this hasn't been mentioned very much i know we've mentioned it in passing but here's another scenario to think of that if Palo is not in the 10 next year, Ganassi might be a three-car team. I think that has a decent chance of being a possibility. Some of that depends on what Jimmy Johnson is doing. But Ganassi does want to expedite this process as much as possible. So that tells me that they still have hopes of filling that seat. They either... Maybe they do want to have Polo back in the car, as they say they do, or they want to have this finalized and done so they can go look to hire someone else. But they can't just hire someone else. They've got to have sponsorship. I don't know what NTT Data thinks of this. I, I don't know where they stand in the contract. You know, we talk about driver contracts, but just as important is where is the sponsorship contract? And that car does not run without NTT data or some replacement for it. And they've done a wonderful job at Ganassi. You know, you think about this. They had Target forever as a primary sponsor. For a lot of programs, when you lose that type of partner, you're selling the team. You're moving on. You're done. And to replace them with PNC Bank and NTT data, two primary sponsors that are on the car most every weekend is highly impressive. And then through Jimmy Johnson, you get some other partners like Carvana and American Legion that kind of spread throughout the race program as well. So I wouldn't put that past them if, if something does happen and they need to replace a sponsorship. But, but that's why I'm saying is you just can't count on anything because it depends on what the sponsor is. Now, all of that said, the sponsorship should be good. Because if they were exercising the option on Palo, they wouldn't do that if they didn't have a way to pay for the program. But is the sponsorship dictated on who the driver is? That I do not know if it's based on that. And if that allows the sponsor and out, if the driver that was originally attached to the agreement is not available to drive the car, does that allow them the chance to get out? I would hope that NTT data is fine. You know, they're not, not only they've been a partner with multiple drivers with that team, but obviously also as the series sponsor, too. And then you've got the 48 car. Jimmy says he wants to come back and do next year. I think he deserves the right to make that decision finally at the end of the year. And we don't know where Carvana is at. They have hit some troubles with uh, laying off some people. So I'm sure they're going to reassess all of their marketing budget moving forward. So what do we make of uh, Pato Award making some comments uh, sort of directed at the number of drivers that uh, that Zach Brown has hired and, and the options for Formula One? I don't think we – that may have been right at the end of last week's show or, or maybe it was a day or two after, but he seems to be a little bit ruffled about, about that and his opportunity that doesn't exist, it seems, for him to get to Formula One. He probably is, and what we've seen from Pato is that he is willing to speak his mind. So he now has a contract. 
So he's probably more emboldened. But this was someone over the winter that didn't have a contract and was openly saying, well, he did have a contract, but he didn't like the contract. And he was openly saying, yeah, I don't know if I want to be back here next year. And spoke in victory lane about being at war with his team. So Pato minces no word. So this does not surprise me that much. And it's been very clear. And I think he's done a nice job of not speaking much about Formula One. But it's been very clear that that's where he'd like to be. And I understand that. I understand that. I don't fault someone for that. When you see that the guy whose seat you are angling for, I think Daniel Ricardo is making $21 million this year. So we can talk about the purity of the sport and the great racing and all of that. But you do one year in Formula One at that level. Now, he's not going to start at that level. But you get what I'm saying. I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, if I can get to a second contract and get to that, that's more money than I will likely make in a lifetime in IndyCar. And it shouldn't be about all, all about the money, but most of us take jobs uh, somewhat based on what the money is. So why should we fault IndyCar drivers for the same? So that's been a focus, but I don't think the Formula One option is going to be there for him. I don't even think it was going to be there for him before they signed Oscar Piastri, even though they haven't officially signed Oscar Piastri. But there's no room at the end at McLaren for some time, and the general consensus has been by the people that know racing, drivers, owners, managers, that he was probably number three in the pecking order for those that they thought would be best in Formula One. Colton Herta tested well. It's thought that he would be able to do it, and I think a lot of people think Pelot would be able to do it, and obviously they made him some assurances as well, and I think Pato sees that slipping away from him. He's going to ultimately be happy because he's going to have a chance to run for championships here every year, and he's making a very nice salary, or he will be starting next year on that contract. I would say he's making a pretty nice salary now. You and I both would, but compared to a professional athlete, it's – you know, it's uh, last guy on the roster type of, of salary from other sports. But, yes, I do sense a little frustration. So another one that comes up, and I ought to have more insight to the to the answer of the question that I'm about to ask. Elio Castroneva is doing a teleconference with the media this week in preparation for for the race at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway this, this weekend. Typically, these – teleconferences are built around people who have done something special or something that really relates to the race. But Lungard was set for today's teleconference and the team announced the restructuring of that contract. Mm -hmm. The question is going to go to Elio, I'm sure tomorrow. If, if there isn't an announcement, what's, what's the status of you with Meyer shank racing moving forward? What would you expect the direction of his answer to be? Well, it might be that they are announcing a deal tomorrow, just like Lungard today, because that Lungard uh, teleconference availability was on the schedule for the last couple of days, I think. And I, I honestly didn't. I knew that there was something coming, but I didn't know when, and I didn't necessarily put two and two together. I didn't know because it was announced as a multi-year contract last year. So I didn't even know if they would do a firm announcement around that, but obviously it was time to coincide with that. 
Uh, I haven't gotten into my stats yet. Is Elio a multi-time winner at Gateway? Has, has he won this race? I think he has. It, well, I don't know. Uh, and I mean, and like he, I said, normal. What's that? So sometimes it's just based on who is willing to talk, who is the media requesting. Elio is always going to get you press. So it could be simply that. He's still, he's still possibly, he's certainly one of, and he might be the biggest name in IndyCar racing. So when you're trying to get to a non-motorsports audience, Elio Castroneves is the person for that. Now, is a teleconference the path for that? Eh, I would say it's more so getting him to St. Louis in front of the local news. I don't think they're using the audio from a teleconference as much. This is mostly for print journalists and, and the hardcores. So maybe it's nothing to it, but... It wouldn't shock me that they're announcing this. So I've asked Mike Shank. I did not talk to him about that at, uh, where were we, Nashville. The last time I talked to him was in Toronto. So it's been a little while. And he said, we're headed in that direction. We clearly want Elio back. He's great for the partners. He's great for the business. We're not looking at anyone else. I asked Elio last week, and he said something along the lines. I didn't write it down, or if I did, I don't have it in front of me. You know, 80% certain this is where I'm going to be at. We're close. We're not quite there yet. But um, it's okay to say that you expect me to be back in this car next year. So he'll answer it that way. He'll say, if it's not done, he's going to say, we're working on it. We're not there yet. And it's always possible that there might be some other teams saying, all right, I know he's not a championship contender at this point. But he can win the biggest race in the world, and he is great for business. Might he be getting that? That's maybe why this isn't done yet. Beyond just crossing the T's and dotting the I's, it could be that there is some interest from some other teams out there about what would it take. But I think he's staying where he's at. Okay, I I wasn't expecting you to be Elio Castroneves, but I thought you might be able to answer how you expect him to answer. Let me ask you, let's switch drivers, and I'm going to ask you a question as if you are that driver. And you're you're now Devlin Francesco, and I say to you, Devlin, does it seem like you've been in the middle of a lot of things this year? How would you, how are you handling that within the paddock? How are you? You know, what are the others saying? You know, how how is your, you know, how is this season going for you, Devlin? So if I'm Devlin and answering it the way Devlin does, I'm saying absolutely nothing to you. And I'm going to speak for 18 seconds. Right. Fair. Good fair. for him. So good for him. Smart young man. He he has been well trained not to stir the pot. And he doesn't really he, he he's come back a couple of times at people accusing him of things. But he's going to say, no, I'm just doing my job and I'm not going to back down from anyone. I'm learning as I go. I've made a couple of mistakes, but I feel like I'm getting better. And this rookie season is going uh, is, is going well. I'm learning and I'm getting better. And next year I'm going to be in position to where I can run for race wins. Since uh, since we're on this path, uh, you're now Simon Pagino. Simon, you've had uh, multiple races here at Gateway. This is uh, like heads on sticks with pardon the interruption. Yeah. <laughs> you've had multiple uh, situations with uh, your teammate when you were at Team Penske, the driver of the number two car. Uh, how aggressively do you plan to race Joseph Newgarden this weekend? 
I race him no differently than I race anyone else. I am racing to win. And when I feel like the track in the corner is mine, I will take that corner. And it doesn't matter whether it's Joseph or someone else in the way, I will be aggressive and do what I need to do. Has Joseph done you wrong at, uh, at Gateway? He could have raced me a little bit better. Yeah, I, I feel like he could have left me a little bit more room in 2017 and again last year. So, yes, I would like to be treated a little bit differently. But, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> this is pretty fun. Takuma Sato, you're going to be back in this series next year? It looks like uh, you haven't quite been as competitive in the last uh, few races. So that's uh, another that's going to be a – that, that, that might be a 30-second answer without a firm <laughs> firm answer. Um, but I think it would ultimately get to a yes. I don't know if I could just get a yes with Takuma. I think it would be, eh, we're working on it. We're working on it. But, yeah, I think, I think if you're asking me, I think Takuma will be back next year. Dale Coyne has said he wants him back. And I have not asked Takuma. I haven't been in his pit for a little while. I haven't asked him what he wants to do, but Dale has said that Takuma wants to return next year. I don't think I have any more drivers unless I want to ask you about Romain Grosjean and his, Your his entry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what what you got? Uh, I want to get to some Twitter questions that have come in, some from a few days ago. Henri Fawn. Is there a limit on the number of cars per team eligible for the leader circle payout? I recall that last year it was capped at three, except for Andretti. Is that still the case? Void isn't looking good for leader circle. What will be the consequences for next year? So I don't have an answer for that because I think they, they kind of go, well, they haven't had a consistent policy over the time period that leader circle has been in play. Jay Fry has probably been more consistent, but this is one of the topics uh, which is not discussed much outside of the building. Here's what I think, Henri. Um, I think you are correct. That was what I was told last year. And then I learned that, as you said, it's not discussed much. I think some in IndyCar have decided that this is a negative and they don't really want fans and media focusing on this. So they don't release this information and it's essentially private and between the teams and the series. I tend to disagree with that because I think it's a way for us to focus on some that aren't getting attention uh, for the race for 22nd. But I, I, I understand that. I, I don't think they're totally wrong on that, that it does become a negative that you're trying to stay out of, next to last and so forth but you know now with 26 cars if it is 22 again and that's kind of a vague number because that's not released but i think it's 22 so if that's the case i guess we've had 25 with the 11 dropping off we've had 25 that have been full time this year there are going to be some that don't make it what i was told by some teams last year what we also learned by the way is that the teams didn't even understand how it went last year because they thought for example, the 06 that Elio Castroneves drove and the 45 of Santino Ferrucci and others, because they had scored double points in the Indy 500 and were in the top 20 in points, they thought they were eligible and did not find out until about now. So, for example, the 45 was putting drivers in cars, and they said one of the reasons was because we want the leader circle money. They then 
learned that, oh, we're not eligible for it. You have to enter every single race to be eligible for that money. But I was told last year that it is capped at three cars per team. So that eliminated a couple of people from that consideration like Penske last year. Unless you were grandfathered in and Andretti was grandfathered in because they had had four for a while. Is that still the same? I do not know. I would consequences for next year. It's not great. If you, you're losing out on a million dollars and Foyt may not get it for either car next year. So they're going to need to raise more sponsorship. It is a negative when you start talking about teams losing backing and, and funding. And so that rubs off to the other sponsors. So that's why another reason why it's not, not highlighted. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I don't know what the right path is here because it is a story for the hardcores, I don't know that we need to deal with it on television, especially when we're on NBC. You know, we're kind of talking bigger picture, and that's getting a little bit too much in the weeds, and it, it could be perceived as a negative. So I don't think you're going to hear much about it, and I think reporters that want to give you the full inside scoop are going to have to do a little digging, and they're going to have to use the teams as their sources on this matter. All right, we'll see what we missed and more coming up in a moment on Trackside. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Final Twitter questions from CBB. Yet again in Nashville, the drivers somehow can't line up two by two before green. Only eight of 13 rows were lined up. Why is it always so hard? And does anyone care? Thanks. I'd say eight of 13 is not bad. Now, you would think with the, a stretch that long over the bridge, you could get there. But here's what I think happens is those in the back are like, I'm already in the back. I want to linger back as long as I can, and I want to get a nice run in momentum. And somebody did that either at the start on one of the restarts and passed a couple and got dinged for that. But I I think that's those in the back. Yeah, those in the back want to create a gap, and they want to time the start for the example. It's like a blitz, like a safety getting a full run and trying to time the snap and being at a full sprint if he can time that to get to the quarterback so they try they care but i think the feeling is eh, do we wave it off we run the risk of something going wrong it's not fantastic so it is what it is as they say and this one uh from chaz schultz do you predict tire wear will have as big of a fall off this week in a gateway like it was at iowa no i don't think it'll be as bad it'll be a factor but i don't recall it being horrible in the past there but we shall see. Winner pick for you this weekend. Well, you've talked me out of Colton Herta, so I'll go with Joseph Newgarden. I'm going to take our guest, Scott McLaughlin, to be back in the championship mix. We'll see. Uh, let's see, 6.30 Eastern time, 6 o'clock airtime, and on USA and a radio station near you and Peacock all weekend for all the practices and more. We'll see you next Tuesday night at 7. For Josh and Kurt, I'm Kevin. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. <laughs>